Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. Today, we have a special guest. What we're going to talk about today is mobile home parks, right? We're going to dive into it. She's a queen in the industry, just started the last couple of years, got into syndications and building out this partnership to really crush it in mobile home parks. And something that can really almost be like recession-proof for the future, like when the economy kind of does its thing and God knows when that'll be, but if it happens, it's when it happens. And I really do believe in mobile park, home parks can really set you up for tremendous success. So we have the privilege to dive in today with Charlotte. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. It's a privilege to have you on. So Charlotte, where are you from? Because I forgot to ask that originally. And then just tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, You know that 30,000 foot view of how you got started into real estate. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question where I'm from. When I'm asked that, I always say, how many hours do you have? So, right. so long story short, it's a complicated story, right? So I was born in China and I was raised there until I was 16 years old. And I decided at 16 years old to go to the United States to pursue better opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I applied for high school online and just hopped on the plane. I went and my parents didn't come with me and no one came with me. I came with, with myself and the two suitcases and barely spoke English, did not have any money, did not have any a cell phone, did not have any friends or family or relative, did not know a single soul in the United States. So I you know that's where I came from. At 16 years old, I hopped on, on the plane and came to the United States to uh, Pennsylvania. And after finishing high school, after the tremendous hard work I did to learn English, to you know, pass the SAT, not pass the SATs, get a good score on the SATs. I was able to get into one of the top engineering schools here in the South and uh, graduated in 2017 as a business major, Bachelor of Science in Business. And I pretty much took a job immediately after I graduated. Shortly after that, after um, I, uh, you know, qualified deals using my salary, that was nowhere enough for my vision and my ambition. And I decided to take a, you know, jump and uh, quit my corporate job to invest full-time in real estate and started Transfer Capital in 2020. And uh, right now we have 25 mobile home parks and $4.8 million in investor subscription. So everything was pretty much really from scratch from 16 years old and became American citizen last year, which is pretty much the best thing ever. Yeah, I love it. God, what a story. I thought I had a story. <laughs> you have a story. Jeez, that, that is so amazing. I mean, the willpower and just, you know, you are a rebel for sure. I love it. <laughs> um, Thank you. I've never yeah. done anything, you know, ordinary, I guess, you know, just uh, doing things exciting and you have to have that perseverance and you just have to have that adventurous and this curiosity about things yeah. to make things work. It. So tell me why PA, why Pennsylvania? Well, it wasn't a choice. It was it I pretty okay. much, it was, it was pretty much, I went online and apply for different you know, private schools, because I was not a citizen at the time, I could not go to a public school. So I pretty much applied for any private small schools cheap enough for me to afford and 
good enough to take me in. And the Pennsylvania small high school, really, really tiny high school, was the first one to accept me. <laughs> and it was a small town, very small town, about an hour away from Philadelphia. And I went to a host family who I never met, never spoke to. Pretty much the cab driver drove me through the forest, the wooded area in Pennsylvania, <laughs> dropped me off at their house. And that's how I met them. They could be anyone. But yeah. it turned out to be really good people and yeah. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. So wow, what a blessing. That is yeah. um that is a very inspirational, like I'm still just like jaw jaw from this. That is a very, very powerful story. I love it. And all this success and hard work and just perseverance that you've already pushed through to get to where you are today. I mean, what a huge blessing. That's like that's the ultimate definition, I feel like, of what's on the other side of fear and the unknown and like just being so just determined to push through it. I love it. Kudos to you. Yeah, that, that's you. really amazing. I appreciate that. And then becoming a U.S. citizen just last year. I mean, that is amazing. It is just amazing. the hard work to get there. So very cool. Thank you. Cool. So you started in 2018. You were actually working for a, you know, you're in the corporate space, right? Right. At the time. A yes. And then, As a business analyst. Yes. Okay. And then you were utilizing because you, you worked your butt off to get uh, good <laughs> grades and get yourself into that position. <laughs> yes. But you were utilizing the corporate position to be able to get funding, to get loans, which is great. And you were able to get a single family house originally and then a duplex. Why? Right, and that correct. was in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. So what sparked your interest for ownership and getting you know properties? Yeah, so where I came from in China, right, because of the regime that it was under, actually people could not personally own properties. People like my family's background, we could not own properties. Most properties are publicly owned. You can lease it from the government for 70 years and you have to renew your lease. So everything's publicly owned. You cannot personally own anything. So that alone, what made me really interested in real estate. And ever since, you know, because of the business training I had and the analytical training, throughout college and throughout the American system. And I realized the opportunities and the freedom that we do have here to own real estate. And it would be a great way to build wealth. And I was thinking to myself that I come this far, you know, when I was 16 years old, you know, my goal is to get into a college. Now that yeah. I graduated, what's next, right? So, yeah. so I pretty much decided to immediately go into real estate and start buying, you know, single family homes. And I met with, you know, I had no one... I didn't know anything about real estate at the time. And I would, you know, I had a great alumni network and I actually worked with one of my alumni, a wonderful agent, real estate agent who walked me through everything and pretty much helped me get my first deal. And she, you know, pretty much explained everything, how it works to me. And that's how I got my first deal. And the second deal, she also helped me identify. And it was a great working relationship. And it's pretty much just bootstrapping from what I had at the time. That's pretty much how I started and how it was sparked the interest. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. I mean, numbers don't lie and you're a smart cookie to say the least. So <laughs> you realize that, hey, real estate is the opportunity to get that financial freedom and generate wealth. And if the government was doing that back in China and, you know, then right. it's all the, the freedom over here to be able to do it yourself. And it's just right. a brainer. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think one of the first memories of life was my family and I, we were in a you know, every, everything was public housing per se in, yeah. in, in China. And there we were actually in an okay apartment, but it was tiny, it was cold, there was no heat. 
and I'm from northeastern China, so it's, it's close to Russia, and it's extremely cold when, in the winter. So I just one of the earliest memories of life was me shivering in the cold. So I pretty much made it a goal that I, I don't want to do that anymore. So and now I have air conditioning, thank goodness. So yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that my life is complete now. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That is too good. Okay, cool. So you got a single family house. You got a duplex. Were those like turnkey situations or was it, you know, investor friendly? Like were they remodels that you were doing to add value? Right. So, you know, the first single family home, it was definitely not a turnkey. It needed some work and it was not in the best market. And, you know, I learned a lot of lessons from the first deal. Thank goodness it was with my own money and you know, yeah. I made mistakes on it. I had to go through evictions for tenants who wouldn't pay rent. And it was a nightmare, but I'm really glad. Exactly. I, I, it was a great lesson to learn early on. I'm very glad and fortunate to have learned that lesson. Um, you know, early on. So, um, so that wasn't a turnkey. It was single family home. I still made some profit, but you know, for the first deal, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't expect much from it. And the second duplex was, it, it was a great deal. It was an excellent deal. It was more of a turnkey and it did not have many maintenance repairs that needed to be done. And we had wonderful tenants. And I, at that time, I learned to qualify the tenants better. And I also hired a property management company who to handle certain tasks for me. So what I've learned throughout the process is that everything is a team sport. If you yes. want to start a business, if you want to be successful, anything you need leverage, you need people, you need talent to help you and you need a team. So what I learned from that example is that you need the right talent in the right position in running this company. You also need that. So team sport yeah. is everything. That's great. That really goes perfect into our kind of transition into the partnership that you've developed with into this new syndication for mobile home right. parks. Let me let me ask you before we transition, what markets were the single family and duplex in? So the single family was in South Atlanta. So yeah. Atlanta Metro market, but it was the Southern Atlanta. So it's a little bit different. Atlanta Metro is super big. So, sure. so that's where that is. And the duplex was in the upper in North Georgia, one of the small Metro MSA there. It was in the Calhoun, Georgia market. It was a pretty good market. It's small. It's not as big as Atlanta, but that just goes to show market isn't everything. And as long as you have a small, you have a town, you have a dynamic going on and the numbers have to work. And then the structure of the home itself means a lot. The operational side means a lot. So it's not just about the market either. So, And was that in your backyard or was that... No, that was far, but it, that never stopped it or caused any issues. Like I said, we have a property management firm that managed for a small fee. And he also managed the other South Atlanta uh, property for me. And he did a fantastic job. And yeah, they had localized effort to re handle any repairs and maintenance and it worked out great. It's funny too, because once you realize in comparison, like single family house versus you know, multiple doors, even just a duplex, you can see it instantly of, hey, if you're having one problem tenant or, you know, evicted or yeah. not paying or, you know, vacant, simply you're not getting paid on that property. And yeah, the other exactly. one, multiple doors can help you out. If you're having one problem, hopefully the other door isn't an issue and Absolutely. at least you have something coming in to cover the expenses. Absolutely, which leads to the appeal of mobile home parks because yes, they are yes, I love it. almost always multiple doors. So, so you mentioned it's a team sport, right? How did you find your partner and what took you down the avenue of really deciding that this was what you wanted to do and it was a good fit? 
Right. So I was on a social media, real estate social media platform, and I was asking, you know, in real estate, especially in what I'm doing in syndication business, I'm pretty much the only woman I know that's doing this. And I, I, it's, this industry is predominantly men and, you know, especially in this private equity, you know, and there was a question asked on that forum and saying, oh, are there any women here <laughs> that, you know, you're young or women at the time I was 25 and I, I was a woman and I had some experience in real estate. So I pretty much just posted and say, hey, you know, I'm a woman here. Here's my experience. And here's my duplex. Here's my single family home. And, you know, talk about my story a little bit. And my partner pretty much saw that post and he found it pretty inspiring and he found it impressive. So he pretty much, you know, messaged me and say, Hey, you know, I'm in Georgia as well. Would love to get connected at some point. And we pretty much had an appointment at Starbucks and pretty much talked about, you know, who we are and pretty much, you know, that that was how the partnership was formed. And he has a really strong engineering and construction background and have really strong, I'm the pretty much the visionary and have good data analytics background and some real estate experience as well. So that pretty much was a no-brainer. Yeah, I love it. And what platform was that on, if you don't mind me asking? You Bigger guys pockets. Bigger Pockets. Yeah, perfect. That's Big awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not small. <laughs> no, um, not at all. You know, it, it, it's so right there. I got to connect you with a bunch of boss babes in the space because there are there are a good handful. But like you said, it is there's it's uh, primarily male, and it, it sucks because there are some amazing women that you know once pushing through and, you know, getting the success with it, it, it can, it's just awesome to see the growth and other women like yourself that, that are doing the exact same thing. So it's very cool. Right. So talk to me about, you know, when you guys started this partnership, was there any conflicts, any, any concerns or how did, how do you, did you know that he was like the right fit and you guys would complement each other? I think just like any relationships, there will always be conflicts. I think in a successful business partnership, you need things in common, but you also need things that you you have 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 different opinions on. So one person needs to play the devil's advocate. You cannot be successful in a partnership where everybody agrees with you all the time. If your partner agrees with you 100%, 100% of the time, then you're in real danger because you could be doing something horribly wrong. Your partner cannot do not have the ability to point it out for you. He does not see something that you don't see. Vice versa, you do not see something he doesn't see, then that's you're in real danger. So you want a partnership, which is the relationship that my partner and I have, is that he always sees things I don't see. I see things he doesn't see. So that's, you need to complement each other. That's good. And uh, what are the roles that that you guys have? I, I know you said he's got a strong engineer background. He's got a strong renovation side to him. What are the defined differences between you two? Right. So, you know, he's more on the operational side. He's doing more of the property management, boots on the ground, traveling, talking to tenants, handling tenant requests, handling contractors, you know, the construction background kicks in, right? He's sure. the operational and I am more on the acquisition side, doing the numbers, data analytics, talking to investors, investor relations, marketing, and we both work on business strategies. And I'm more of the, the missionaries that kind of propose an idea for, you know, the company's development. He's more of the, you know, devil's advocate poking holes at my ideas. And, you know, as eventually when you have an idea that you, you cannot propose at anymore, then maybe that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love it. So at this point, you guys have 25 uh, mobile home parks in mostly the Midwest and then Southeast. 
And then, and really, I mean, a handful of markets, uh, feel free to dive in and riddle them all off. But I think it's like, <laughs> we'll be here yeah. for an hour. <laughs> right, right. Well, there are only 50 states. So yeah, yeah. So I can, we can reset, oh, take out the state we're not in, right? So Yeah, right. That'd probably be the easier route. So basically, out of all those states and the 25 parks, anywhere from about 10 to maybe 40-ish is, you know, the are kind of like the lots or the... Correct. The, okay. For each, Correct. each 25 mm-hmm. of the parks. Correct. And then you guys have raised about 4.8 million in, you know, investor capital for this indication. Correct. I love it. For each indication, there are different raise goals. So they add up to be 4.8. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, and this is all just started, you know, two years ago, back in 2020, which is awesome. So let's talk about how you're finding these deals and putting them together. Cause I I really want to know the ins and outs for any, any new people that are listening that are saying, right. Hey, mobile home parks are amazing. I'm really interested in it. I think it's brilliant. Truthfully, I personally haven't invested in mobile home parks yet, mm-hmm. but maybe after this interview, you know, I'll, I'll be <laughs> more inspired to You're definitely inspiring me in so many other ways, but, oh, um, but I do love that, you know, it can be really recession proof. Like we mentioned originally for the simple fact that when the market turns and not like if, but when, you know, everybody needs a, a, a place to sleep. Everybody needs a, right. a home, you know, to live. Exactly. And, um, they can be more affordable, right? Right. And, it's and really we've seen an... over, over the years kind of like a little increase um, with mobile Correct. home parks. Correct. Correct. So the afford, uh, mobile home park, like you mentioned, is the affordable housing business. So the nation sure. is facing an affordable housing crisis. And all across the country, there are so many people everywhere facing, you know, options for affordable housing and mobile home park provides part of that solution and the reason why is recession resistant is because when the economy turns bad you know tenants tend to want to move to a less expensive option right it's not you know if you lose your job or if you live on living on savings you would not want to move into a mansion that you can't afford you're probably looking to 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 go down a little bit so that's why mobile home park is an idea it is an asset that would be recession resistant. So as far as you know, how we find our deals and how we you know source our deals is that we have broker relationships and seller relationships, and we have really come the deals really come to us, and we, we source all of our deals, and we have so much deal flow every day that we have. And it, so once we receive those deals, well, the first thing we do is that we put it into our internal algorithm that we developed using different uh, 15 major parameters that those 15 major parameters, they each have a different weight assigned to them based on their importance. For example, the market is a parameter, tenant-owned homes versus park-owned homes is a parameter and several like 50 major parameters. So they have a weight assigned to them. The first thing we look at this deal and assign a score for each parameter for this deal. And then that produces a score for this deal. And there is a passing score and there is non-passing score and we can rank them that way. So that's how we kind of compare all of our deals and qualify them. So it's just like machine learning. You're feeding the machine so much data to train it to identify good deals and bad deals. And with enough historical data, you can do enough uh, sure. of disqualifying. You can refine this process. So, so that's something that we're, you know, we have internally that this proprietary algorithm inside to qualify mobile home parks, particularly because you have a lot of things on the market that qualify 
you know, multifamily home, but for mobile home parks and the small mobile home park, especially, really, we are the pretty much one of the only ones that does this on a, a systematic level. No, it sounds it's it's very um, very tech. I would say. Uh, well, I, gra- awesome. I graduated from engineering school yeah. here at Georgia Tech, and my partner Same thing also with your has partner. Here. Yeah. yeah. So we're both very nerdy minded yeah. when it comes to analyzing things. So it's a lot of numbers, a lot of nerdy thinking. It's, it's brilliant, though. It's brilliant because the systems in place set you up for success, right? Yes. And like you said, it's, it's rare, right? It's, it's very few people out there that are probably setting themselves up for success like you guys are, which you is have to. Yeah. incredible. Yeah. I think you mentioned something that's very, very crucial. Any of the listeners that are tuning in right now, what you want to take from this is the first thing that she mentioned was how she's getting these deals is simply the leads are coming into her. The leads are coming in to, to you, Charlotte, for the simple reason that you network. You, you guys like told everybody what you're doing, what you're looking for, the markets you're looking for them in. And now you've done it so well that the leads come into you. And now you can cherry pick them. You can analyze them, see if they're good and, and worthwhile to actually start pursuing them. And I always recommend that to everybody because um, you could be searching all day, you know, independently for yourself. And you're doing a lot of, I wouldn't say wasted time, but, you know, networking is the key to it. Because if you tell thousands of people and they all start sending you these opportunities, then all you need to do is sit back and start going through the opportunities, right? Right, exactly. You need to be in networking and also you need to prove to them, prove to the brokers, the sellers that you are a qualified buyer. They would not want to send deals to you that you are, you know, accredited, you have credibility. They would not send any deal to you if they know that you are not a player in the market and they would not close deals, then why waste their time, right? So you have to make sure that you're adding value to them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a tire kicker at the end of the day. You want to be serious. Yeah, exactly. And and be able to talk the the talk basically and and be able to uh, just perform at the end of the day. Exactly. I love it. So um, let's talk about the software still. You, you know, you were mentioning there's about uh, 15 different um, points uh, behind the software. I assume you guys made that in-house. Right. So it's not a developed software yet. So it's not like an app that's developed by a software engineer. So it's it's just a simple 15 parameter. Um, you can call it a software. Technically, it is a software from a techie perspective. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there are algorithms that, you know, we developed it in-house because you really cannot buy that anywhere. You only know it from historical data. And a lot of it is from just thousands of deal flows that we've seen. And yeah. a lot of times it's from our actual experience owning real estate, like that duplex and the single family home. A lot of things are translatable. And in, in this case, mobile home parks, we do have our performance and we do have our, you know, 25 deals that we can look at and see what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, all of those deals. So it's just like machine learning. You feed enough data to it, you would know what to do. So that's really, you know, it's an ever growing algorithm. Yeah ever refining so the more data it has the more refined it's going to be just like any software that's so just like any software updates right so get better yeah over time it just gets better and better and better less errors and so forth the best Mm -hmm. part is at the end of the day everything's public records so you Mm -hmm. can either work your butt off searching independently through each thing or you can build yourself something to save yourself time and let the computer do its magic uh, right right public records and it's a piece of intellectual property yeah, transfer capital as well. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Cool. So how many deals have you been averaging, I guess, taking down? Is it a monthly basis or, you know, quarterly? 
We usually have three to four deals under contract at all times. We try to do that. Right now, for example, we have three deals under contract. Two are closing in May, another one closing in late May. So um, per month, we try to close one, two to three deals, but that entirely depends on the due diligence progress. Sometimes due diligence could be delayed because of right now labor shortage across the nation and people, it's hard yeah. to get people out to work and contractors don't really work anymore and it's difficult yeah. to get inspections done. So that that would cause delays, but I usually try to do two to three and well, to four yeah. at all times. Well, it's nearly impossible to find because everybody's so busy, like yeah. you know, everywhere. So it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. then, like you said, like, you know, just supply and demand, it's um, a lot of things are just backdated everything. So when it comes down to due diligence, is there kind of like a hit list that you guys go after on mm-hmm. knowing what to look for that might be different than any other type of real estate? Right. So for us, like you said, we're pretty nerdy people a lot of times, and we do have processes for everything. Yeah, and good. for due diligence, there's a process as well. So there's a phase one due diligence and phase two due diligence. And we, our team, they get notified when something happens with the phase one and phase two due diligence. And my partner is a great designer of machines, and he's an engineer himself. So he understands how the business machine works. So we want it to run at a, like a well-oiled machine yeah. that during phase one due diligence, you check the permits with the county, check with the health department, you check a bunch of things. We do have a checklist. So, yeah. but there is a sequence to things and there are things on the critical path. And so it's all a very scientific way to look at the whole process. So it's never just say, okay, let me check on that. Let me check on that. It's not that there is a process, there's a checklist and there is infrastructure built in. Very good. And then phase two, what does that typically look like? Phase two usually is when you start spending money because you don't want to spend thousands of dollars on an environmental study, thousands of dollars on a camera job before you even make sure this park is illegally owned and run. Because sure. if you cannot verify like the income from the, 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 the seller, there's no point in going forward. You do not want to pull the trigger to spend thousands of dollars on inspections by a professional before you can verify things for free with the state department, with the city, with the county with make sure that there's no back taxes, make sure that the income that the seller is telling you is truly there by requesting the deposits of rent deposit, rent payment. So if the income is not there, then the deal is dead. So that's the phase two. Phase two is actually starting uh, ordering uh, inspections and actually get the result. And that's the yeah, phase. spending money then, yeah. It's spending money so, because there's no point. Economically, it doesn't make sense, right? So so especially with mobile home parks, I've, I've heard this a lot, but, you know, maybe for any other type of real estate, people can see this as well. But as far as the, you know, current owners that, you know, you're buying these from, they can be, you know, super distressed in some cases that very old school in how they're accepting money, cash or whatever it may be. What if they can't show you proof of you know, their rental income that they're accepting and what that looks like. How, how do you guys proceed moving forward? If, if they cannot show us proof, then we simply do not move forward. Yeah. Okay. So you just totally stop it right there. You don't, you don't just start discounting it, you know, no. your offer. No, we cannot do that. We, you know, if I was doing this deal by myself, Charlotte right. does deal in her own name, I may consider it, but I'm taking on investor money. That, that will be a risk too great for a syndication firm like us, for our credibility, 
for our investors' interests that we cannot do that. We must be a good steward of our investors' money to protect our investors' interests. So giving something that you cannot substantiate the income, that would be a breach of our fiduciary duty. We can yeah. absolutely cannot do that. So if they cannot substantiate anything they say, it's income. It's one thing if they tell us the income is $2,000 per month, and then we can only verify 1950, then that's a different thing. Yeah, if yeah, probably yeah. Has, they have 2000, but it can provide zero, then the deal is dead. Yeah, no, that's so good. I, I love the morals behind that. And just the way that you obviously serve your investors, which is without the investors, it's like, where, where would we be? Right. So that's awesome. Right. And the, those investors are our customers. So that's all, that's, that's the biggest uh, interest that we need to protect. Yeah. 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 Customers and partners really for everything, right. which is great. Let's talk about learning curves for a second. Is there anything that you guys have learned over the years that you're like, whoa, 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 next time we will not do this the same way that right. maybe some of the listeners can really write down so that they don't make the same mistakes? Well, I think, you know, the the, the entire algorithm to qualify our deals is through the learning curve is yeah. to, you know, that's everything. So, you know, it's really fed the data of, oh, this is, a good good idea and that's not a good idea so it's really all in the algorithm so i think some of the major things we, we notice is that you tend to spend a lot more money um, on parkland homes so try to avoid those and try to own as much land as possible if you do have parkland homes make sure you have enough reserves so the last thing you want to do is be undercapitalized and you run out of money so that's number one thing and number two is to make sure your utility structure is is intact you don't want to be dealing with utilities that is breaking everywhere and the city goes after you and the city finds you a thousand dollars a day not that it happened before but we've heard stories like that so make sure you know, a sale sometimes triggers a health inspection from the city and they can go after really hard. You want to make sure that you have enough money to cover any kind of problems that come up and also, you know, make sure that you, you do your due diligence. So two things, don't be undercapitalized. And number two is make sure you, you check the utilities. Very good. I love that. And speaking of uh, capital, money, all the fun stuff, what what type of returns do you typically aim for or, you know, expect? So all of our deals, we have internal rate of return anywhere from 12% to 15% and more. If it's lower than that, we simply don't don't pick that deal uh, because it wouldn't be attractive for investor. And then our annualized return, you're looking at anywhere from 16% to 20 and 20 and above percent annualized return. And we make distributions monthly and also our equity multiple for our, our shorter hold time, two to three years hold for us, uh, you're looking at anywhere from 1.2 to 2 times your capital. So it really depends on your whole time. So, but those are the kind of a general on a high level, the parameters we, we, we look at. If those, the returns are lower than what I just mentioned, then we wouldn't go after the deal. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that. Yeah, yeah those are great numbers. And I probably should have asked this in the beginning, but uh, <laughs> as far as the strategy goes, are you guys aiming to take down just distressed running properties to a certain degree that you can uh, just systemize and, and be able to uh, stabilize the performance so that you can refinance or or is it to sell at the end of the day? Well, we don't really look at distressed properties per se. We mostly look at value adds because yeah. for distressed properties, since we're focusing on smaller parks, sure. it, it would be not very efficient to let's fix up a four like a 10 lot park with extremely distressed. It doesn't really make sense, right? So especially with investor money, if I was doing this myself and I have all my life to do this, you know, Charlotte Duffer wants to do a distressed property, then I could do whatever the heck I want. But with investor 
funds, it has to stick with the algorithm, which is distressed property with super high vacancy, with super high rundown homes. That's really not our criteria. We don't, yeah. we, we, we just avoid that. The strategy is to go after smaller parks with good quality homes, good quality infrastructure, and that we can do some small value add to kick, kick it up a notch and to, you know, improve operational inefficiencies and then eventually sell. So that's kind of our strategy. And because they're smaller, it's not as heated as big parks because the sure. big boys, they are chasing after 300 lots, 100 lots and above. Yeah. So, you know, we don't want to compete. We want to complement. If something's not, someone is not doing that, you should be doing it. And as long as you're doing it in a fashion that, uh, that, that qualifies the deal, you know, just because they're small doesn't mean they're not, they're bad deals. Yeah, that's so good. What, what type of price range are you guys kind of in for each of these lots? Right. So each, well, each park, um, I think depending on the market, it's anywhere from 90,000 to 400,000. It depends yeah. on the park number. So obviously, so the, the lot per lot per occupied lot, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, 18 to 35 um, okay. per lot, depending on the market. So. And then what type of value adds really get you guys excited right. to be able a lot to of them, perform? Right. A lot of them is the cosmetic improvements. And there is just a lot of a lot of meat on the bone to start with in mobile home parks because a lot of mom and pop owners don't increase rents and they kind of, you know, they they, they don't there's that's the meat on the bone for you right away. So, you know, you want to increase rents pretty much immediately after acquisition. According to state laws, you have to give the tenants the proper notice, but you do want to make sure that you follow up on your commitments on what you're going to do to improve the parks, like adding a new sign, adding new fences to make the park more attractive so that you're not just taking, put, you know, treating the park as ATM machine. And you know, yeah. that wouldn't be helpful for any tenant. Would it be fair or kind? Would it, yeah. be, would it be fair? And they will move away. They do yeah. move because just like any customers, you know, the tenants care and you want to build a better community for the tenant base. And if you're not doing your job, everybody will be disgruntled and it would not be working out for anyone. Do you guys ever do any like electrical or water kind of upgrades? Um, if needed. So that it depends on if the electrical needs to be repaired and sure. it, it depends on what kind of suggestions the electrician would have during due diligence inspections so yeah. that entirely depends on is a case by case okay i love it and then what type of area or like i guess class like abc you know d class uh type b, of uh, probably b yeah b? yeah okay. probably b and depending on the market right so you don't want to get something in a war zone and you don't want to get something super run down either. So it's B, B to C and depending on the market. So I, I said that so many times, so I probably stopped saying it, but really yeah. it depends on a lot, the, the local economy. And market no, that's itself. so good. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, you always want to aim for like the C, C plus, and then try, right. to, you know, improve it to that B class, which is great. Very cool. I love it. I'm curious, what does the future look like for you? And, you know, it, it sounds like there's just so much growth right now and just so, a lot of things are new, but you guys are crushing it and doing just phenomenal numbers for your investors. I mean, it sounds just amazing. So what what does the future look like for you guys right now? So for Johns Creek Capital, we are aiming to the later half of 2022, we're aiming to start a fund 
that would be a core or core plus fund that would take down mobile home park faster speed and also to save on certain uh, admin fees to make the parks, you know, more efficient from economics standpoint. So that would be the kind of a short to midterm goal for Johns Creek Capital. In the meantime, we're always having new deals, like I said, three to four deals under in the pipeline all the time. So we are always looking to, you know, find more deals and um, have more investors in, in our base and really expand the business. So I love it. And then for investors, what type of starting off capital do you guys typically start with? Usually do 50%, oh, sorry, 50%, $50,000 minimum. Okay, very cool. I love it. I love it. Well, this is so exciting. I, I just have a ton of notes right here with all the <laughs> with all the knowledge you gave today. So I really do greatly appreciate it. How can people get a hold of you and, and learn more about what you guys are up to? Right. So the best way to find me is to go to our website at johnscreekcapital.com. And there is a contact form. And once you fill it out, I will get a notification. I usually reach out pretty quickly. We'll set up a call and go from there. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. You are amazing. I feel so blessed to have you on to be able to just share your story alone. It is such an amazing story. I and it. I know anything you want in life, you'll be able to, you know, tackle it and get because you work so damn hard for it. So I really do appreciate your time today. Anything that yeah. myself or the listeners could do to give back to you? I think we, what I'm trying to do is to you know, get, you know, try to introduce transfer capital to more people and to get yeah. people to understand who we are and what we do. And if you could please go to johnsfreecapital.com and follow our Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff, all, all the pages and uh, become part of the community. I'm trying to build a community and a group that we can su support each other in our financial goals. So that would be great. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for jumping on. You guys heard it first here. You guys definitely want to make sure that you reach out to Charlotte. She is amazing and uh, has a lot more behind the scenes that could really help you guys out with your journey for mobile home park investing. So make sure to reach out to her and just support in every way possible. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always do so at Brandon Elliott Investments on Instagram. Otherwise, Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys need any credit repair done for you services, check out creditrepairmobile.com. Otherwise, if you're really looking to get educated on how to do it yourself, how to be able to build up amazing bank relationships and get several six figures, even seven figures in funding within a short time frame from the banks, and then being able to travel hack and leverage that, then check out creditcounselelite.com. And as always, make sure you hit the subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. So you get the newest notification, the newest episode every single Monday. Leave a five-star review. Greatly appreciate your guys' time as always. And we will see you on the next episode. Charlotte, thanks again so much. God bless. Thanks so much for having me. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. 